Welcome to the Pacific Forest Foundation's Talking Timber, where each week you meet the professionals behind the Northwest timber industry. Hi, and welcome to Talking Timber. I'm Diane Mettler, your host and executive director of the Pacific Logging Congress. This episode is part two of our talk with Fran Caffarata Co. OFRI, or Oregon Forest Resources Institute's contract certified wildlife biologist and the owner of Caffarata Consulting. She'll tell us more about being a wildlife biologist in the Pacific Northwest and helping landowners account for wildlife when considering a forest management plan. First, we want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation, whose mission is to support sound technical education about the forest industry. To learn more about these two great organizations, just check them out online, www.pacificloggingcongress.org and www.pacificforestfoundation.org. The Pacific Forest Foundation offers thousands of dollars in scholarships each year. If you or someone you know is studying in a forestry-related field, you can apply now through May 1st. Just visit pacificforestfoundation.org. Okay, let's pick up with our talk with Fran and the Wildlife Management Forest Program. I would say one of the reasons that our program the Wildlife Managed Forest Program is important is because we know that the public ranks clean air, water, and protecting wildlife as some of their highest priorities in terms of forests in Oregon. And so in order to, you know, keeping that always in mind, each year we organize a steering committee meeting. And so we have um, the steering committee for, the, for our program is made up of foresters and biologists from um, various companies and organizations, you know, state, tribal, private, all that represent our audience. Yeah. And so we sit around uh, and discuss all the latest research, all the latest science findings, and talk about where our, what we've done for the year and how we think the program should be directed for the future. And then, you know, also how can we elevate this conversation to yeah. a larger audience? I think one of the, the biggest challenges we face for, for our wildlife and managed forest program is really learning new ways to present the information. We are we have a really diverse audience, um, you know, and a and a really diverse demographic, and we've typically communicated mostly through written reports, through our tours and our workshops, and I think the tours and workshops are still very relevant, um, and to some degree our written reports are too. They're still effective, but we have to branch out into things, you know, things like you and I are doing right now, podcasts, yeah, yeah. webinars. Uh, we even did a, a couple of Facebook Live. Sorry, oh, nice. and, and I, as a wildlife biologist, I have to tell you, I never thought I would even know the words Facebook Live. <laughs> I don't use them as a platform to help uh, manage for Oregon's wildlife. It is exciting to have those options, and I should mention that until I completely figure out like, Twitter and Facebook Live and these things, that all of the materials that we have um, produced for OFRI, mm-hmm. um, well, OFRI in general, but specifically for our program, are available online, and you can find them at the knowyourforest.org or or oregonforest.org. And even the publication that I mentioned about the Woodland Fish and Wildlife Group are available on the Know Your Forest website as well. Oh, okay, great. Mm -hmm. I think the Twitter and all that's ever-changing anyway. I don't think you're going to be completely caught up at any one moment, so. (laughs) (laughs) So is it mostly to reach a whole different audience too? Absolutely. Yeah, we want to reach all audiences and you know, there's, there's brand new landowners that have never heard of our program and, 
you know, I'm not, they might not be a member of the Oregon Small Woodland Association yet. And so they don't hear about our tours and, you know, we just, okay. we want to be, we want to make sure we're reaching those people. And we, I feel really confident that we're reaching our, you know, our industry partners. They're plugged into what we're doing. They use our materials um, to meet the sustainable forestry initiative requirements and to, you know, they want to learn about yeah. up and coming wildlife species that they maybe haven't thought of. I feel confident that we're accomplishing those goals. Are there different things that you get any pushback from? I don't know that we get pushback on our program. I think there can be conflicting goals sometimes or conflicting okay. ob objectives. And so it's, you know, it goes back to my mantra of finding balance in all things. We don't want there to be, you know, we don't want to be in the way of, of, of the landowner's objectives. We want to work within the landowner's objectives. So that's our first thing is to understand what they're trying to accomplish and then help them get there. Oh yeah. Actually, I was thinking more about the public. I mean, when you're trying mm. to reach out to them, do you get any pushback or have to kind of re-explain or I don't know, it just seems like there were some actual uh, protesters at the Oregon Logging Conference. And I thought it was a little bit from miseducation about things. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, you're always going to have pushback. You know, you can't, can't be all things to all people all the time. Yeah. And so I guess I don't worry about it too much. Um, I want to engage the public. I want to help them understand where we're coming from. I want to understand when we do get pushback, what's, what's the reason for that? What is it that that's not being understood and, you know, finding, finding things to talk about. I think common ground is, is easy to find with wildlife. You know, it can just yeah, start yeah, with, exactly. Hey, you know, did you know that you know, going back to the scorpion example, well, maybe scorpion's not a great example for that because not everybody's going to love scorpions, but you <laughs> Some know, birds yeah, you can find that and be like, you know, find common ground on the species that we all enjoy seeing in the woods. And then we can talk about, you know, how we're accomplishing management mm -hmm. for that species and, and maybe reach people that way. There's going to be people that, that don't understand where we're coming from. That's always going to happen but I yeah. think we can find ways to reach those people. Yeah. And so for your um, consulting um, company, all right, do you have any goals ahead? <laughs> yeah, I really do. I have, um, so one of my main goals for my consulting company is, is um, <laughs> to keep my folks working right now. It's because oh, yeah, it's yeah. a scary <laughs> time in front of us. And so I want to make sure to keep work in front of them. And that's kind of a new new role for me. Uh, it used to just be me for the first couple years and then I've slowly yeah. added staff. And so it is, it is exciting. Um, but I yeah. think that my, that really um, helping my timber companies manage intentionally for wildlife in the same way that they manage intentionally for timber production is, okay. has been my goal all along. So I want them, you know, all to have wildlife management plans that, you know, incorporate wildlife goals right into those timber harvest goals. And, you know, I think we're accomplishing that. We've got a ways to go still, but um, it's really yeah. exciting. Like knowing that we've got that half a million acres covered under wildlife plans that I've written, it it feels really good. City, so are you um, work just solely in Oregon or do you work for companies up in Washington or Idaho? Or? Yeah, so some of the companies that I work for are in, in Washington. Um, they manage both properties in Oregon and Washington. So I, okay. I dabble into the Washington uh, arena some, but I'd say mostly I'm in Oregon. 
We want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, two organizations dedicated to sound forestry education. This year, the Pacific Logging Congress will be holding its convention in Palm Springs, California. They will have loads of dynamic speakers and they invite you to join them. For more information on this event, just visit www.pacificloggingcongress.org. Okay, back to Fran. You know, I think one of the questions that you'd asked me beforehand was just what we thought our role was for the next generation in terms of managing wildlife. And I just wanted to point out that we, you know, just like wildlife is a popular topic for the public and for resource managers. It's also a, it's a, it's a topic that, that young people are interested in as well. And so we use wildlife to reach our younger audience and OFRI has a K-12 program. And so we often use wildlife and managed forests as part of the K-12 program as well. And we really hope that that we're setting the stage for the next generation of resource managers okay. and that they'll continue this work. I think managing intentionally for wildlife and improving habitat is everybody's responsibility. And so, you know, just as we know that this, we're constantly learning new things, the research has to continue. I hope that you know, these programs that we're setting up now are going to continue into the future and that we can just continue that message that all forests provide habitat for wildlife and the actions that we yeah. all take, you know, in working forests are beneficial for wildlife and they're important. Yeah. So that for you, if you were going to talk to someone who's thinking about getting into the industry, maybe somebody from high school or, you know, start college is thinking about the forest industry as a career, what advice would you have for them? I, I would tell them to go for it. <laughs> I think uh, people maybe sometimes shy away from the forest industry because they think, oh, you know, I don't want to work outside when it's 34 and pouring down rain. Um, and I get that sometimes those are tough days, but it's such an important job and it's so fun and it's such a good group of people. There's lots of different, you know, lots of different jobs available in the forest industry. We have a, we actually have a publication about that. It's called Find Your Path. And it talks, oh, okay. about, yeah, it talks about a lot of, of the different uh, jobs that are out there. And I think it's a good one for people to look at because, you know, you could be a wildlife biologist, you could be a hydrologist, you could, you know, design roads, you could count trees, you could count fish. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things and they're all important. You could, you know, you could be a research biologist too. I think those people have really cool jobs. They study yeah. all kinds of different things and then we get to use their research to manage the landscape and that's important. Do you just partner with these um, research folks or are they part of your staff or how do we partner? Yeah, we absolutely partner with our research staff. Partners uh, for research, there's quite a few. We work with researchers out of Oregon State University, uh, the National Council for Air and Stream Improvement and CASI. We work with those those scientists a lot, um, Pacific Northwest Research Station, so the United States Forest Service, um, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, they're all our partners, and um, in fact, many of them are on the steering committee as well, and okay, yeah, so we track all the research that they're working on, and they help keep us up to date, and it's, it's really fluid. It goes both directions, and um, a lot of participation back and forth so that we can uh, make sure everyone's goals are being reached and we can um, communicate the progress out to the public and out to our managers. No, that's great. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't know if maybe you also influence if it's fluid 
some things that you you need them to research? Does it work that direction? Oh, I don't think I have that much control. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd love to be able to decide what projects are being done, but you know that's that's really that's a good question. Like, how do we decide what to study? And yeah. that that's an important question, and it, it is really closely looked at. And so, just like the our wildlife and managed forest program as a steering committee, um, the like NCASI and OSU have various ways that projects are funded and there's committees okay. that all get together and they, you know, people write proposals for what they want to research. And then there's a group that, you know, looks at all the proposals and looks at what our research needs are. And I don't, I don't have any say in, in any of that. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people do. And so they, yeah. <laughs> they all sit around and, and, and look at that and, and, and make decisions. And then those projects are funded and then, um, and then we use that research. So, and there's, you know, there's no shortage of, of things to look at right now. Some of the current projects um, being, so there's the Oregon Muralette project. So uh, Dr. Jim yeah. Rivers out of Oregon State, along with others are researching the Marb Muralette and trying to figure out more about that species. They're so hard to study. They, you know, they live in the ocean, but then they come inland to nest. And so they're yeah. difficult species to study, but of course we want to know about them since they nest in these older forests and we want to be able to provide nesting habitat for them. And then the red tree bowl, we're doing a research project. Uh, Dr. Um, Katie Moriarty um, with NCASI is leading that effort. Uh, along with her partners. And so the red tree bowl is this tiny little rodent that fits in the palm of your hand and lives in the tops of trees, uh, almost never comes down to the forest floor and eats Douglas fir needles. And so we really need to know more about that species. Yeah. <laughs> so we want, you know, um, we're doing that slash study that I mentioned, yeah. the Fisher and Martin research continues. So these are all, you know, forest dwelling species that we want to, you know, we want to make sure we're providing for them across the landscape. So that's why the research is important. What, what are some of the common questions you get from folks when you do tours? <laughs> that's a really good question. You know, one question that I actually get a lot is how to prevent some species of wildlife from occurring on a property. <laughs> and it really makes me chuckle. And it's an important question. We do have some, yeah. you know, some wildlife, like the mountain beaver, for instance. Yeah. Uh, it's a great little guy, super interesting species, uh, eats trees, so eats seedlings. And um, not always, but sometimes they do. And so they can be a problem. I get species uh, questions about that. I have, I think the funniest question that I've ever received was um, how do I protect my little chihuahua from um, <laughs> like cougars and bears and um, I had a I thought I had a great answer for that was I suggested that they get their chihuahua um, like a rottweiler as a protector <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so there can be some of those urban conflicts but I think uh, a lot of the questions I get you know relates around you know how much downed wood do I need how many snags are important, uh, okay. how much uh, hardwood component do I need to protect songbirds, you know, that just specific, yeah, prescriptive specifics. And, you know, that's all dependent on, on where we are in the landscape. So I can help when I'm out in the woods, um, put some numbers around that for people. Oh, that's great. So now I just have to ask the question. So you're out at night hunting for owls. <laughs> um, what does that look like? Do you just get out of your truck and wait for them to fly by or how do you, how do you spot them? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good, I like that you called it hunting for owls. My husband says it the same way. Um, we don't, we don't really use that term. <laughs> so, so we're looking for them. There's a protocol from the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. that's very specific on how to look for endangered spotted owl um, 
And so, you know, you set up a number of stations, you drive to those specific stations or hike to them that you can't drive to every station depends on where you okay. are. And then you listen for them at those spots for 10 minutes and you do that. So you call for the owl. So you make their sound oh, okay, okay, and, then you, and then you listen for them. And we, we, we record, you know, we're looking specifically for Northern spotted owls, but we record, you know, any owl species that we hear. You did mention earlier that you had some scary experiences with cougar and bear. Can you give one? <laughs> sure. I, uh, I had an owl calling station that was, though, maybe five or 600 feet from my truck. So not very far, but it was down this little narrow, used to be a road, not a road anymore. So you're crawling through the brush to get to it. Um, and this is like two o'clock in the morning. And I, you know, it's dark, so I can't see. And I got to my station I started calling for the owl and then I heard this just um you know how so mountain lions can make like this just kind of a scream yeah yeah so I had to do that so close like so close <laughs> to me I don't I think I must have been close to a gut pile or something because it was uh. and I was all I could think about was how far I was from my truck and I was you know mountain lion yeah nothing to mess around with there they're terrifying and you know, you can't run. And so I just, I like channeled all my inner willpower and I, <laughs> you're holding a little, um, device that you use to call owls. And so I just like held that behind my neck thinking, okay, I have to at least protect my neck. And I walked slowly back to my truck and I got in and locked the door and burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and it was fine. You know, it was fine, but I have to tell you, like I wrote in like, capital letters in my like notes about you know stations that that had a cougar near it and I, I always made sure to call that station earlier in the night <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so how close do you think it was so I think it was I mean it was so close I, I bet you like less than 50 feet oh wow so or closer yeah. Uh. <laughs> and I've been really close to bears too. That's not as scary, but I, I mean, it would have been really scary. I was, you know, less, less than, less than 10 feet from two baby bear cubs. Oh. And like, I hear this rustling in the brush and this little bear cub popped his head up. And I mean, they're adorable, but, and then I heard another rustle and I thought, oh my gosh, that's it. Cause that that's going to be mom and it's going to be game over. Cause I don't have anywhere to go, but it wasn't mom. It was a second bear cub. Oh, they're so cute. And then I was just, but I heard her, you know, she, she, like, um, hoofed at them from down. I heard her down below. So she called them and they went running back down to her and, and I was able to get safely back to my vehicle. But, you know, you don't want to be between mama, uh, no. and cubs of any species, yeah. honestly, of any species. Um, we wouldn't be having this conversation if he, <laughs> yeah, this is true. So, you know, but I also, though those are close calls and, you know, I've seen, you know, um, I've seen people have had plenty of more scary cougar encounters. I have a friend who is only alive because he already had an arrow in his bow and he turned and a cougar was in mid leap towards him and he just oh let the arrow fly. But uh, it's also so cool to be close to big uh, predators like that. So yeah. driving around the woods at night, it's totally different. It's, you know, plus, you know, there's, these are working forests. So the logging operations are out there. They're shut down for the night. So it's pretty cool to see all the logging equipment and, you know, obviously we're, I would just pass through those areas to go call, you know, habitat for owls, but it's, um, you know, that's really neat yeah. to see, to see all those operations out there while we're doing that. We want to thank Fran for taking time out to talk to us. 
And thank you again to our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress. Please check them out at their websites, www.pacificforestfoundation.org and www.pacificloggingcongress.org. And if you have any topics you'd like us to cover, please contact me at diane at pacificloggingcongress.com. Okay, until next time, take care.